In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I'm very, very delighted um, always to come to St. Mary. Um, as as many of you who maybe knew me from before, this was my home for many years before I was ordained. And uh, when His Grace Bishop Gregory was here earlier uh, in the week and I was here and I told him I, I love coming to St. Mary's because I'm not responsible for anything. Um, whatever happens is not is not on me. <laughs> Um, as you know, the, the theme uh, of the revival this year has all been about the church and the roles of the church and how important the church is to us. Um, and really, when we, when we meditate and we think about what is our life without the church, if we can imagine, maybe these past two weeks is the perfect example of how much we come to the church and how much the church is the center of all that we do and, and how important it is for us. Imagine if the church did not exist. You know, imagine if, if, if our lives were without the church, what would we do? Where would we be? What would be the focus or the center of our life? And I also want you to think about all the people who live away from God or away from the church that do not have this benefit and are not aware of it and don't realize or taste the beauty of having the church in our lives in this way, then maybe they are aimless that they don't know where it is that they are or where is it they should be doing. And maybe many people try different things, trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in their life, and yet they still feel empty. So today we're going to speak about the universal church. One of the aspects of the church um, is the universal church, or as we say it in the liturgy and the prayers, we call it the Catholic church, the Catholic with a small c, um, the Catholic church. And the, the, the Catholic church is the, the, the description Catholic, is one of what we call the four marks of the church. The four marks. We say that the church is one holy, uh, sorry, one only, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. These are we call the four marks, and there's actually a, a topic about each of these um, in the revival um, this year. But I'm going to focus on the universal church. We pray in the litany of peace, remember the peace of the one only, holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Also in the creed, we refer to the church as one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And again, this is this word Catholic. The word Catholic means universal. Um, so what is the universal church? What do we mean by the Catholic church? The universal, the word universal means of, affecting, or done by all people or all things in the world. And um, the word Catholic comes from a Greek word, katholikos, which means universal, which means according to the whole or the entirety of something. And when you apply it to the church specifically, it means that the church has the fullness of faith. It means that the church is complete, that the church is all-embracing, that the church is lacking nothing, and that the church is proclaiming this faith to all people without excluding any group that the church is open to everyone. And this goes to the comment I made at the beginning about try to put yourself and imagine a life without the church. You know, the church is universal. The church applies to all people, to all of us, whether we are already Christians. The church, of course, is for us. The church is also for those people who are not believers. The church is for the salvation of the entire world. Because all of the God's creation, all of the human beings in the world, God wants their salvation. And how is it that they would be saved? They would be saved through the church that God has placed on the earth. So I want to speak and focus on a very beautiful 
uh, saying that St. Cyril of Jerusalem said about what does it mean for the church to be Catholic? What does it mean for it to be universal? This is what he says. He says the church is called Catholic then because it extends over the whole world from end to end of the earth and because it teaches universally and infallibly each and every doctrine which must come to the knowledge of men concerning things visible and invisible, heavenly and earthly, and because it brings every race of men into subjection to godliness, governors and governed, learned and unlearned, and because it universally treats and heals every class of sins, those committed with the soul and those with the body, and it possesses within itself every conceivable form of virtue in deeds and in words and in the spiritual gifts of every description." It's a very broad definition. We're going to try to focus on these elements to try to have a better understanding what is the universal church. So we're going to speak about six points. The first point that he made is it extends to the whole world. Okay, that's the first point. Second point is it expresses the fullness of the truth. The third, it is for all people in the entire world, not limited to any specific group. It addresses, number four, the whole human condition. And then number five, the church's universality is manifested in each parish. Meaning, yes, it's great for us to speak about the church in a kind of a broad general way and says the church is supposed to be this and this and this, right? But then we have to get more specific and local and say, how is this universality of the church uh, manifested and expressed in each individual church, in each individual parish? Because we are all, each of us, supposed to be universal. Each of us is supposed to be universal. And then finally, the sixth point we'll discuss is that salvation is only found um, in the church. So the first point is the church extends to the whole world. This is, again, St. Cyril of Jerusalem. He says the church is called Catholic then because it extends over the whole world from end to end of the earth. How is this? Um, how, how does it extend? The first, the first point is that the church has authority in every place. The church has authority in every place. There is no place where the church does not have authority. That does not mean necessarily that people accept the authority of the church. Obviously, someone who is not even Christian or not Orthodox, they might look at the church and reject the authority of the church. But the intention of God is that he gave the church authority in order to govern the people for the sake of their own salvation. And we see this very clearly when the apostles are meeting together in the Council of Jerusalem, and they met together in Acts chapter 15 to discuss how is it that they would deal with um, some of the issues regarding the Gentiles who are coming into the church. And um, it says here in Acts 15:28, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And he described to them what he wanted them to do. This is a very interesting, the way that it's phrased. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Like we are working together. The church is a reflection of the will of God. The, the authority of the church is to execute the will of God in the lives of the, in the lives of people, in the lives of the faithful, in the lives of the believers, in the lives of the human beings. This is the authority of the church. And the Holy Spirit himself is manifested and expressed through the apostles in the church. This is why I said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What he's saying is our decision 
is binding according to the will of God, manifested through the Holy Spirit. This is the universality, right? Because it is the Holy Spirit who is God, who of course is the God of the whole world, is, is expressing His will through the church. So this is the first point. The authority of the church is in all of the world. The second point is that the church has also responsibility in every place. Has authority in every place and also has responsibility in every place. Meaning the church is responsible for all people. I remember when His Grace Bishop Yusuf was speaking about the introduction of the American Coptic Orthodox Church. And he was speaking to me about its necessity and its need and so on. And one of the reasons he spoke about was because the church has responsibility for all people. Right? He considers himself to be the bishop of all of the diocese. Not just all the Coptic people in the diocese. All of the diocese is under him. It's his responsibility. He feels that in front of God, God is going to come and ask him, what did you do to serve the people in your diocese, which includes all people, right? All people. Um, in Colossians chapter 1, it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, for which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. St. Paul knew himself that he was a steward and a minister of the word of God to everyone. Who is it that St. Paul preached to? He didn't preach to the Jews. He preached to everyone else. He preached to the entire world and he established the church for the benefit of the salvation of the entire world. So the church has a responsibility in every place. There is no group, there is no place where the church doesn't have any responsibility for the salvation of the people. To go and to preach, to go and to bring people, to attract them to the word of God, to attract them to have a relationship with the Christ so that they have the salvation of their souls. Also, this feeling of responsibility was so great that St. Paul says what? Even if he feels a burden, this burden of responsibility... And that he doesn't even desire to have a desire to do all of this work and all of this ministry. He says, it is my duty. It is my responsibility. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. Meaning if I am willingly preaching the gospel, God is going to reward me. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Meaning I as an apostle have been given the duty, the responsibility, according to the will of God, to preach the gospel to the whole world, whether I desire it or I don't desire it, whether I like it or I don't like it, I have a stewardship. I am the steward of the word of God to share this and to preach this with the entire world. So this again shows the church is a universal church. The church has authority in every place. It is a reflection of the will of God to the earth. It also has a responsibility in every place that we are called for the salvation of the world um, um, in, in, in every place, the universal church. Okay. The second point, we said the universality of the church because the church expresses the fullness of the truth. The church expresses the entire truth. 
And this is also what St. Cyril said. He said, the church teaches universally and infallibly each and every doctrine which must come to the knowledge of men concerning things visible and invisible, heavenly and earthly. He teaches everything which must come to the knowledge of men concerning things visible and invisible, heavenly and earthly. So the first point here is that the church teaches the fullness of doctrine. Everything that is true, the church teaches. Everything that is true that is relevant to salvation, the church teaches. In Titus 2 verse 1, St. Paul says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Meaning, what are the things that, that explain why we are here? What is it that we should believe? How is it that we should worship God? What is the moral standard that God is asking us to live by? How is it that we can enter the kingdom of heaven? Where did we come from? Why are we living in this world in the state of um, disaster that it's in? Why are we here? How did we find ourselves here? To have understanding and knowledge of all of these things gives us a perspective of who I am, where I came from, and where I am going. It tells me, how, why is it that I should live a certain way? You know, when you ask someone... You know, when you, when you come to someone and you tell them, here's what Christians believe. Christians believe that um, you, you should live in this very strict code and you should do these very specific things and you should pray every day and you should go to church and you should take communion and you shouldn't curse and you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't steal and you shouldn't follow your lusts and you shouldn't do this, this and this. And if this is all what people understand, people are going to say, why is it that I would be Christian? You're, you're asking me to live a very strict life that I feel is not very enjoyable according to their maybe estimation, for what purpose? But then you explain, well, why is it that we are the way that we are? Why is it that we are attracted to sin? What is the future life look like and where are we going? That answers the question of why are we called to live a certain way? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? What does it mean to have been created by God? This is the fullness of doctrine. The church doesn't just teach about theology. It doesn't just teach about characteristics of God. It teaches about humanity. It teaches about reality. It teaches about life. Everything that is relevant and important to a human being, anything that has real substance and value is something that we teach in the church. And maybe all of you have heard sermons about all of these topics that I've mentioned. Because in the church, we discuss all these topics. And the scripture addresses all of these topics. The scripture does not just come and say, well, there is a God, worship him, and everything will be fine. No, he goes to from the very beginning and he says, who is this God? Where did he come from? How were we created as a race? Where did this world and all of the creation come from? How is it that we should live? What was the history? Revealing actually our own hearts to us, that, that our hearts can be deceptive. Why is it that we seek after the things that we do? The scripture reveals to us the truth. And this is the doctrine of the church. We speak about sin, we speak about temptation, we speak about the corruption of man, and we also speak about the renewal of man. We speak about the sacraments that give us renewal. We speak about the necessity of the life that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the universal doctrine of that we teach of in the church. Also, the church is not just a philosophy. It is not just a set of ideas that we ascribe to. Like when we say the creed, it is not simply the creed. It is not simply saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. Right? It is not just a worldview, but it is a practice. Right? It is a practice. In 1 John 2, 29, 
He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Meaning what? The person who is righteous in the eyes of God is not just a person who's, who has certain beliefs or has a certain belief system, but is a person who practices. It is a person who is engaged with what they believe. It is not just someone who has certain knowledge, but it's someone who puts that knowledge into action. Okay, So the church teaches about, for instance, the necessity of communion, and then it provides the communion. Teaches about the necessity of baptism, and then it provides the baptism. Teaches about the necessity of confession, and then provides a father of confession. Teaches about the necessity of the word of God, and then provides the word of God, so you can read it for yourself and know it and live according to it. Right? In everything, the church speaks about the importance of prayer, and then gives you a prayer book so that you can pray. It is not a, a, a theoretical or philosophical knowledge that is the orthodox Christian faith. It is a practical knowledge. It is something that we live by and live with on a regular basis, on a daily basis. And the person who simply has the knowledge, simply has the beliefs, but doesn't live according to them, has not tasted what it means to have a relationship with God. Has not tasted what does it mean for us to really live in this life of righteousness, to walk in the light and not in darkness. Because anyone can have knowledge. You know, we read all kinds of books, we have all kinds of knowledge we can get on the internet, all kinds of information that is available to us, and maybe we could say that we could have more knowledge even than some of the very early um, church fathers perhaps had, because we have the whole internet that we can access at any time. We don't need to memorize the Bible, because we have access to the entire Bible. But this knowledge is not sufficient for salvation, simply to have this knowledge. So the church is, in its universality, it is not just knowledge and information and belief, but it is a practice, it is a way of life. It is, again, as expressed in these two weeks of the revival, that we choose to come, we choose to give of our time to come, because we identify and understand the importance of what is it that we are doing and what is it that we believe. It is not just a philosophy of thought. It is not just about debates and discussion. It is a life. It is asceticism. It is prayer. It is fasting. It is sacraments. It is all these things that we put into practice. This is the universality of the truth. The third point, as far as the universality of the church, St. Cyril says that it is for everyone in the world. He says, the church brings every race of men into subjection to godliness, governors and governed, learned and unlearned. The church is for everyone. So the first point here is, the church is available to all people without restriction. The church is available to all people without restriction. In Revelation chapter 7, this is what it says. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who are these people? who no one could number, of all nations, of all tribes, of all peoples, of all tongues. This means that there are people from every country in the world who have salvation. This means that there are people who speak every language that have salvation. Maybe God only is the one who knows who these people are and how they came to have this salvation and what is their life and how is it they practice and what is it they believe. But this tells us something about the church. The church is open to everyone. There is no group of people 
for which the church is closed. This is why I, I say, you know, when you are in your own house, um, we tend to lock our doors because for our security. We lock the door because it is our house. And in our house, we get to control who is it that comes in and who does not come in because we own the house. So we decide who enters and who does not enter. But in the house of God, who is it that decides? Who is it who enters and who is it who does not enter? It is God, not us. This is why in the church we leave the door unlocked. Because anyone can enter. There is no special ID card that you have to have in order to come and attend the church. Right? The church is open. Now that doesn't mean that everyone in the world accepts what we believe. It doesn't mean that everyone wants to enter. It doesn't mean that they enter in order to learn. Right? But it is, it is open. There is no restriction. There is no one who stands and says, you are not allowed to come and see. Right? When Philip was speaking to Nathaniel about having had this encounter with the Messiah, he told him, come and see. Come and see for yourself. There is no group, there is no person who is not allowed to enter. Actually, even in the early church, there was confusion about this. Because for the longest time, the people of God were the Jews. They were the ones who received the prophets. They're the ones whom God spoke with. They're the ones whom God gave all of the different rites and rituals and, and the commandments and the feasts and the fasts and told them how is it they should live, where they should go. And so for the longest time, the Jews believed that they were the only people chosen by God for salvation. And yet after the, the Lord Jesus Christ, it became clear that actually salvation is offered to not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And it took time for the even the apostles to understand this, to accept this. St. Peter did not want to go and preach to people, someone who was a Gentile until he was convinced through a vision that he received to go. And when um, St. Peter was telling his experience with the, the baptizing of Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion who um, was a Gentile man whom he baptized, when he was telling the other the apostles about this, they were rebuking him. They said, how is it that you can go into the house of this man and you eat with him and you spend time with him because he's a Gentile? You're not allowed to do so. But then when St. Peter explained the vision that he saw, he explained how is it that God was prompting him and told him to go there. They said what? This is in Acts 11:18. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. It was a realization that the church, unlike the synagogue, was open to every human being, even the Gentiles. It was open to them. God has granted even the Gentiles salvation and repentance. So this again expresses the universality of the church. It is not for a specific group of people. It is open to everyone. Also, it's not just open to every race, but it's also open to every class, every person regardless of their class, regardless of their status, regardless of their wealth, regardless of their education, it is open to all. And actually St. James speaks about this in his epistle. He says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Again, how is the church universal? 
It is universal because there is no class of people who, are, who is denied access. And there is no class of people who is supposed to be treated better than another class. And we see this perfectly in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And when you look at the people that he spent time with, he spent time usually with the people who are the outcasts, the people who were hated, the people who were despised, the people who no one else wanted to be with them. And even after uh, Levi held a celebration and a dinner uh, with the other tax collectors and invited the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Pharisees saw that the Lord Jesus Christ was mingling and having dinner with these tax collectors, they rebuked him. They said, how is it that you can spend time with these people? And the Lord responded and he said what? That those who are well have no need of a physician, but only those who are sick. They are the ones who need the physician. It tells us something about the purpose of the church. You know, we say that the church is not a museum for the righteous, but a hospital for the sinners. Right? It is not a place where we come to demonstrate our righteousness. No matter how righteous we might, we might be, we do not live up to the standard that God has called us for. And so we are all coming here as sinners, seeking repentance and seeking mercy and forgiveness and salvation because we know ourselves. We don't come here because we are righteous, because we are good, and we want to show that off to other people. So when another person comes who is lowly, who maybe is not of the best background or the best upbringing or have the same social class as I have, again, it is just as open to them as it is to me because I do not deserve to be here. I have, I have no entitlement to be here. This place is not for us alone. This place is for the world. It is for the entire world that God has called for salvation and we do not know who that is. It's easy for us sometimes to say when a person is interested in the church or comes to the church, it's easy for me to have the mindset of, well, this person is not going to succeed. This person doesn't really understand. The Orthodox faith is very difficult. It's very complicated. There's a lot of things you have to know. There's a lot of things you have to do. You have to come and stand a long time in the liturgy. You have to fast a lot of times, you know, throughout the year. Um, you have to confess your sins. You have to do this and this and this. So it is not easy for this person to accept all of this and we kind of prejudge that this person is going to fail. And so we make no effort to really attract them to it. So, you know, this, this is not really a place for you. You know, this is not really a place for you. Just go along your way to something else. Maybe that is going to be a better place for you to be. But if we truly say that the church is a universal place, we cannot judge the hearts of people. I remember very, very clearly a sermon that I heard from His Grace Bishop Yusuf um, on the first night after my ordination while I was in the monastery, and it was the Feast of St. Moses. And of course, in the monastery, they have an all-night vigil, so I was completely asleep. But I managed to hear some of what His Grace Bishop Yusuf said in a sermon in the middle of the night. And he was speaking about the life of St. Moses. And he said this, he said, if St. Moses, of course we know St. Moses, he was um, a thug to begin with. You know, he was a sinner. He was a robber. He was a murderer. He was a very coarse man. He was not a fine man. He was not an eloquent man. He was not a refined man. He was not a holy man. He was not a righteous man. Right? He was a dangerous man. So this is what his grace Bishop Yusuf said. He said, if St. Moses were to come to one of our monasteries today, in the state that he was in, 
and want to be admitted and want to join the monastery, do you think that they would allow him? Do you think they would allow him to enter and to become a monk in the state that he was in at the time, in the sinful life that he led at the time? It was a rhetorical question because I think all of us were sleeping. But his response was, no, we would not allow him to be in. Because our problem is that we have forgotten that the church is a hospital. We have forgotten that this is a place for sinners to come. It is not about how, how good or how bad you are. It is, do you want to change? Do you want to improve? Do you want to be righteous? It has nothing to do with whether you are not righteous now. It has to do with your goal. Do I want to repent? And if you want to repent, if you're a harlot, if you're demon-possessed, if you're whatever it is, come. This is what the church is for. Again, it is not a museum for the righteous, right? And and that stuck with me very much, that sermon, because it says something. It says something very important that really it is up to all of us to address. This is the universality of the church. It is open to all people regardless of your status. The fourth point that St. Cyril makes is that the church addresses the entire human condition. So he says, the church universally treats and heals every class of sins, those committed with the soul and those with the body. And it possesses within itself every conceivable form of virtue in deeds and in words and in the spiritual gifts of every description. So orthodoxy, the church addresses the whole person. The whole person. We speak about what makes a person to be completely healthy. Completely healthy in every way. Because this is what God is calling us for. If we meditate a little bit on the human needs, and that God provided for every single human need in the Garden of Eden. He provided for our physical needs. He provided for our relational needs, our spiritual needs, our emotional needs. He gave us a purpose. Every kind of need that we as a human being had, has, God provided for us. He gave to Adam and Eve food to eat because they had a need for food, the physical need. He gave them each other because they have a relational need. We as human beings, we want to have relations with one another. We want to have friends. We want to have family. We want to have people to have relationships with. God gave them that from the very beginning. He provided for their spiritual needs because God was present with them in the garden, speaking with them openly, and they believed Him. They knew Him. They didn't have to have faith in a God that was invisible to them. They believed in a God who was visible. You know, we struggle now in our faith as a result of the fall to experience God, to feel God, to notice God, to be aware of God. Adam and Eve did not have to have this struggle because they just opened their eyes and God was present. He was physically present with them. They could see Him, they could they could engage with Him, they could speak to Him. Their spiritual needs were met. Also, their emotional needs were met. And we can see how immediately after the fall, they began to be emotionally crushed. They began to feel guilt and shame and to hide themselves from God and to make clothing for themselves because they couldn't stand their own nakedness that they had. And God had given them a purpose, that they were to have dominion over the earth. You were to have dominion over the entire earth. You were to name the animals. You were to to, to subdue the earth. It is for you. It is a job for you to have. In all these things, God provides for our needs. This again is the universality of the church. The church is coming and providing for us 
It is giving to us, it is revealing to us God's providence, God's provision, God's love, God's goodness, God's desire for us to have our needs to be met. The Lord Jesus Christ, for instance, He spoke often about how much God cares for the needs of people, even the poor. He says, if God cares about the birds who gives them food to eat, how much more will He care about you? He cares about every aspect of our life, but of course the the greatest thing He cares about is our eternal life. Our salvation and our, our eternal life to live with Him eternally. Again, this is the universality. The church addresses the whole human condition. For instance, the church, for instance, when someone is in physical need, can give them money. When someone is, is, is hungry, can give them food. When we come to the church, for instance, we find fellowship. Our relational needs are being met. When you come to the church, we have purpose. We, we, we are reminded of why we are alive. What is it that I am supposed to do? Maybe there's a service that I can perform. Where do I find it? I find it in the church. Every aspect of the human need is met in the church. And again, those people who are not fortunate enough to be understanding of the Christian faith, to be believers, to have a church in their life where they can go to, are, are living in darkness away from all the things that meet those needs. And they try to find those needs to be met in all kinds of other ways in maybe very destructive ways, in in wandering aimlessly, not knowing where they should go or what they should do. This is why, again, we as the church are called to have the responsibility to bring the people who are living in that darkness into the light, to make them aware that there is a place ordained by God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that will fulfill every need that you have in the right way. And you don't have to live away any longer. The fifth point is that the universality of the church is manifested in each parish. In each parish. Meaning all these things about being open to everyone, about teaching the fullness of the truth, about having responsibility for the salvation of the world. All these things are not just vague concepts that we speak about, because it's easy for us whenever we speak about these things, to point to someone else and say, they'll take care of it. The church, there's thousands of churches, right? Thousands and thousands of Coptic churches, and if you count all the other Orthodox churches, and if you count all the churches of every denomination, there's hundreds of thousands of churches. It's easy for me, standing here, to say, well, someone else will do it. Yeah, I agree with all these points, but someone else is going to do it, because I'm not equipped to do it, I don't know how to do it. Um, there are other people who are better at this than I am, and so I will leave it to someone else, in order to do. But this is not how God intended. God intended that each church parish, each church building, is a manifestation of the fullness of the entire church. Meaning a person who comes here, comes there, comes in any church, experiences the fullness of the presence of God. Experiences everything that God is offering to all of humanity in the place where they go. And so it is up to all of us to be the universal church. To be the ones who are accepting and open and offering and serving and giving to everyone. To feel that responsibility upon myself. That it is up to me. That God is calling me for the salvation of the world. He is not just calling another group or another person or another place or another church. He's calling all of us together for that same mission. The last point that, that I'll mention is that salvation is found only in the church. Salvation is found only in the church. In the West, 
even those people who want to find some kind of spirituality in their lives, I'm speaking about non-Christians, or even some Christians, people who want some kind of spirituality in their life, it typically is a self-directed spirituality. Right? Meaning what? Let's take example Buddhism. Buddhism is about is a, is a philosophy. It's it's some people don't really refer to it as a religion as much as it's a philosophy, but it's a philosophy of finding peace. It's a philo- it's a philosophy of ending suffering. It's a philosophy of living the right way according to their understanding. But who guides and directs this process for each? It is actually the person themselves. The person themselves decides for themselves how they will live, what is true and what is not true, and how is it that they are going to live their life and practicing all the spiritual practice that they practice and so on. So it is a self-directed spirituality. In the church, we are not self-directed. Okay, We believe that the church is established by God for the salvation of humanity, and it is in the church where we find salvation. Of course, that doesn't mean that we don't pray on our own or practice our spiritual life on our own. No, not at all. But where where is the core and the focus of salvation found? It is to be found in the church. This is what Origen says about this. He says, Therefore, if anyone wants to be saved, let him come into the house of God. Let him come in order to be able to attain salvation. Let him come to this house in which the blood of Christ is the sign of redemption. Let no one persuade himself. Let no one deceive himself. Outside this house that is outside the church, no one is saved. If anyone goes outside, he is responsible for his own death. This is the significance of the blood, for for this is also the purification that is manifest through the blood. Of course, this is the blood of Christ. So all of the sacraments that we speak about, we speak about sacraments a lot, and we kind of get used to talking about them. The sacraments are the means of grace, that God expresses his love for each of us through the church. Because these things can only be experienced in the church. Baptism is in the church by a priest who is ordained in the church. Uh, chrismation is in the church that is practiced by a priest who is in the church. Uh, confession is something that is done typically in the church, but also with a priest who is ordained in the church. Communion is in the church, only in the liturgy, only prayed by a priest who was ordained in the church. So if there is any message that God is trying to send to us, it is that salvation is found in the church. If you believe that you can go and have salvation apart from the church, well, that means that you are not going to have the benefit of the baptism, of the chrismation, of the confession, of the communion. And there are other sacraments too. So, so how is it How is it that we could see that there is salvation outside? God has made it very clear. Why we call the church the Ark of Salvation? Because just as in Noah's Ark, no one survived outside of the Ark. There was no one who could live and remain alive outside of the Ark. The Ark was the only means of escape and salvation for everyone. The entire world perished that day, except for the eight people who were in the Ark. And this is what God is telling us. He's saying the only people who are going to be saved... The only people who are not going to perish are the ones inside the Ark of Salvation. And here are the means of grace. Here are the means of salvation which God offers to us. Also, St. Ignatius of Antioch, this is my last point, he makes a point about the priesthood and the importance of the priesthood in the church because they are the ones officiating all of these mysteries, officiating all of these sacraments. 
This is what makes the priest to be important. Not because he wears black, not because we have to treat him differently than anyone else. He has been given the means by which to officiate the life-giving mysteries that are offered to all of us for our salvation. This is the gift of priesthood. This is what it is. And this is what St. Ignatius says. He says, see that you all follow the bishop, even as Jesus Christ does the Father, and the presbytery, or the priesthood, as you would the apostles, and reverence the deacons as being the institution of God. Let no man do anything connected with the church without the bishop. Let that be deemed a proper Eucharist, which is administered either by the bishop or by one to whom he has entrusted it. Wherever the bishop shall appear, there let the multitude of the people also be, even as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. It is not lawful without the bishop either to baptize or to celebrate a love feast, but whatsoever he shall approve of, that is also pleasing to God, so that everything that is done may be secure and valid. This is the clergy, this is the priesthood, this is the, the episcopate, the, the, the bishop, the one whom establishes, the one whom God has given the authority to establish the church, to build the church, to ordain the priests, to, to, to run the diocese, to run the church and the world. It is through those people whom God has, has granted this to work as laborers for the sake of the salvation of all of the world. Again, it is not just the, the people who are the believers. It is for all the world, right? Again, this is the universality of the priesthood. All of those apostles, where did they go? They went all over the world. They went to preach to everyone in the whole world. They saw it upon themselves that this is their responsibility. As we read that St. Paul said, this is his responsibility. This is his stewardship to serve everyone. This is the universality of salvation that is offered in the church. So to summarize, we mentioned six points. The first is that the church is universal because it extends to the entire world. There is no place where the church does not have authority and there's no place where the church does not have uh, responsibility. The second is, the church is universal because it expresses the fullness of the truth. Everything that is necessary for us as human beings for salvation, it is expressed. The doctrine as well as the practice. The belief as well as the means to practice that belief. The third, the church is universal because it is for all the people in the entire world. There is no group of people that is denied access or restricted from access to the church. The church is open to everyone from every culture and race. And is also open to everyone from any status. Wherever you are, whatever you do, the church is open for you. The fourth way that the church is universal is because it addresses the whole human condition. It is not simply a theoretical belief system. It addresses the reality of who we are, where we came from, what we're doing, what is our purpose. It meets our needs. It meets the needs of all of humanity if we simply understand it and do according to what Christ has said. The fifth point is that the universality of the truth of the church, sorry, is manifested in each parish. It's each church building each parish is a representation of the fullness, a representation of the universality, a representation of um, an invitation to all the people, having the responsibility and having the authority, each individual church. And then finally, we said that salvation is found only in the church. There is no salvation in the flood outside of the ark. 
And so we come to the church because this is the place where we are saved. And so again, this is the importance of the universal church that God has opened the doors of salvation to everyone who would like to enter and glory be to God forever.